From Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. I really set this up to be living my dream, to be using my talents and helping people who have diabetes and making hard things understandable and inspiring. So for the criteria for success I set up for myself, I was achieving those things. Today on episode 41 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Reva Greenberg. Reva has gone back and forth from employee to entrepreneur multiple times. After the last company that employed Reva went bankrupt, she pursued her dream as a writer. In this episode, Reva shares how she maintained optimism and perseverance to drive her success. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you would like to share your story on going solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Reva Greenberg. Reva is a health researcher and coach, author, advisor, and inspirational speaker. She's lived with type 1 diabetes for 48 years and is helping people with diabetes and health professionals work collaboratively in a way that helps them both flourish. She is sharing this flourishing approach across the world. Reva has written three books and hundreds of articles. She's spoken at the United Nations and is recognized for her humanistic work by professional associations and organizations. Reva, welcome to the show. Hi, David. It's great to be here. You know, it's funny when I hear you read my bio, I think, yeah, a long time ago, that's probably what I would have always wanted my bio to be. But little did I know. Exactly, exactly. So with that said, and here's something that you've written, which is our history does not have to be our future. So how have you applied this principle of our history does not have to be our future to going solo? Hmm. You know, I think from the earliest time, from when I was a kid, I always had the idea that I wanted to do something that helped people believe in themselves. It, it was a resounding feeling in me, only I didn't know how I would do that, much less how I'd make a living at it. And when I was young, the two things I thought about was being a writer, because I knew that was one talent I had. And maybe I could shape people's thinking and actions that way. The other was being a psychologist, but I decided at some point listening to people's problems all day probably wasn't healthy. So I went the writer route, and my first job was in advertising, which lasted four years until I said, I really can't do this anymore because it didn't meet my values. So I, I quit, and I started designing inspirational greeting cards that was a way of getting this message out of trying to help people believe in themselves. And so you might say that was sort of the first time I, I left a steady job to be an entrepreneur. And you left it voluntarily at that point. Oh, yes. And I, I still remember my colleagues saying to me, I was 28 years old, and they'd say, what are you doing? You know, like, you're doing really well here. Why would you leave? But it really was a matter of it was so opposed, you know, trying to convince people to buy something as if that would make them more of who they are. I just really couldn't do it anymore. And I think at 28, I was young enough to think, I'll get another job. You know, I mean, I know most of the people you talk to are over 50. And, and it's, a, it's a different thing when you're leaving a job. 
over 50. But at that age, I didn't have fear. Yeah, I think that's actually that's pretty common. I was thinking as you're describing this, thinking back to my own situation when I was probably close to the same age, I quit my first job, not having a plan and not really all that worried about it. And then I got another job and second job. I didn't quit. I was fired because the company lost like half of its business and uh, yeah. and ended up firing half the staff. And I was I was one of the. Uh, one of the victims, and it was, it's funny, it was right, in my case, it was right after I had gotten a big raise and a really good performance review. My boss said to me, you know, I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're doing a great job. The bad news is you don't have a job. And, <laughs> and it's funny, when I got fired, I actually had a lot more fear than the time that I quit. You know, it was roughly the same age. I was in my late 20s, both times. But yeah, when we're younger, there are a lot more options open to us. I think also our personal financial obligations are often less. You know, if you look at somebody who's over the age of 50, chances are they have some kind of operating expense that supports their lifestyle where they don't have options to go go back and live with parents, which they might yeah. have when they're when they're younger. And if they have a family, then often there are a lot of expenses associated with that. So it's it, people are often in a very different situation. Yeah, I think there's also a very different feeling between I quit or I was fired, right? I quit or that was my choice. I feel like I had some control over that choice. I was fired. I didn't really have any control over that choice. It happened to me. And at some level, there's some sense of, personal rejection, even though you may well know it had nothing to do with your personal performance. That is so true. So true. So have you been in other situations where you have made, because I know you've gone back and forth between employment and entrepreneurship multiple times. Have you been in other situations where it was not your choice to go from being an employee to an entrepreneur? Yes, actually. And it was the similar to your story. It was the last job uh, I had where I was fired when I was 48 and I was fired because the company went bankrupt and they were basically laying everybody off. Uh, in fact, my my boss, who is one of my best friends, called me the night before and she said, Reva, tomorrow morning I have to fire you. So come in early and take whatever you want off your desk. So that that, though, was the pivot. Uh, for me to do the work I'm doing today, which really is when, you know, I made a comment when you read my bio, what I would have liked to have had my bio become. I'm helping people in uh, diabetes. So how did you go from getting fired to doing something that you really wanted to do? Uh, multiple things. One was I spent two years immediately after I was fired looking for work because, you know, there was a piece of me that thought I need to go back. Even though I was getting married, uh, there was a piece of me that felt I had to go back. I had to earn my own living. It's what I knew my identity to be. And at the same time, that very year, three things happened that kind of mm, helped make the switch. And one was I was getting married that year. And because of that, I went to a diabetes educator for the very first time. I'd had type 1 diabetes at that point for 32 years, and um, I'd never been to a diabetes educator. 
But since I was getting married, I wanted to be as healthy as I could be for me and my partner. And while I was uh, at that appointment, I, I don't know. I thought, you know, I'm a writer. Maybe I could help people with diabetes somehow through my ability to write. And I discussed it with Badawain, whom you know, my husband now. And he said, that's a great idea. I support you if that's what you feel you want to do. And, I, and he said, you know, you should write a book about what it's like to live with diabetes. And, you know, I have since written three books. But at that time, I basically just rolled my eyes at him and said, oh, that's so sweet, honey. <laughs> I said, well, really, who's going to read a book I write? And then two weeks later, uh, he woke up and he said, you know what? Why don't you interview people? who have diabetes and share their stories. And I felt that was something that was very comfortable for me to do. So I just started with a, a handful of people I knew who had diabetes. I sat down, I interviewed them, I started collecting their stories. And that's sort of how it, that's actually how it began. It, it's interesting how having a supportive partner can be a game changer. Yes, yes. For me, in every way, I mean, there's certainly financial support, and the emotional support, and also in in some ways, my husband has become a mentor for me because some of his work is coaching and leadership training and leadership facilitation. And now in my diabetes career, over the last several years, I have gone in that direction where I'm giving uh, presentations and workshops to people with diabetes and the health professionals who work with us. And so I very much uh, have learned from him facilitation skills. And yeah, I love it. Mm -hmm. So Reva, you've now been doing this, this work, um, diabetes-related work, as an entrepreneur for how long? I think it actually began probably in 2003. So that's 17 years. Yeah. And how long was it Till you felt that you had reached some stability in this role? Hmm. Maybe five or six years. So I began by interviewing people. Then I uh, started going to diabetes conferences and meeting people. And through those connections, I began writing for various diabetes online magazines. And I set up my own uh, blog. Uh, then I wrote my first book, which is very funny in a way. It was an extension of my inspirational greeting cards. So it's illustrated and it's inspirational essays about living with diabetes. And then I got my second book published and I believe it was 2007. And I would, and that was published by mainstream publisher. And I would say that definitely cemented this notion that this is my work. This is my field. I'm good at what I do. But unlike getting a job, it doesn't go from zero income to 100% income in a day. It's, it takes time. Yeah, definitely. And I had the luxury of not having to equate my value or my success with income because I never set this up for that. I really set this up to be living my dream, to be uh, using my talents and 
helping people who have diabetes and making hard things understandable and inspiring. So for the criteria for success I set up for myself, I was achieving those things. Regardless of income. Yes, regardless of income. And of course, income has come. But I, I still go back to those first criteria because, well, for me, luckily, you know, I'm in a position, I'm in a, a luxurious position where my income doesn't matter as much as it will for other people. So uh, I'm able to do that. Yeah, but I actually want to go back and talk about the, the issue of having um, a mindset where where your criteria for success are not primarily based on income because this is a theme that I've heard from lots of guests on this show and my other show on Smashing the Plateau, which is if it's all about the money, you're going to struggle. Well, you know, I don't know that because that's not been my experience, but there certainly is a fantastic emotional reward and a different kind of energy that comes from doing what you love. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now there are people out there are, God, hundreds of thousands of talented people out there, whether they're writers or actors or business people or whatever. And, you know, some people just make it to a different level of success or notoriety or whatever than others. And, you know, sometimes it's just luck. Sometimes I think in my case, it's I can look back and say I've been persistent. I think persistence is, you know, some people will call that grit, is a a huge factor. So I can remember when I heard about uh, diabetes peer mentors, and you could get trained to do this, and they would fly you around the country, and you would talk to groups of people with diabetes, and I so very much wanted to do it. So I called, and they said, well, you know, thank you, but we're just not taking on any new people. Uh, but feel free to stay in touch. I called for six months, once a month. And the sixth month, they were looking for people. So they interviewed me, and that's how I became a peer mentor. And it lasted for 10 years, for as long as they were funded. And it was one of my greatest joys. So, which also brings up a thought, which is one of the downsides for me, and I think a lot of people with being your own entrepreneur, is the social isolation. I mean, right now we're (laughs) experiencing a lot of that. And then when you work for yourself, you can well be socially isolated working in your home. And so the fact that I did these peer mentor talks where more often than not, I would go out once or twice a month. I would go to the airport. I would get on a flight. I would go somewhere in the States. I would meet with the diabetes educator there. I would address her group of 10 or 30 or 50 people with diabetes. I'd stay overnight. I'd fly back the next day. It was a lot of social interaction in those two days that that helped, I think, the social isolation that can come from entrepreneurship. Yeah, I would also argue that being the CEO, whether you're the CEO of a company of one, or you're the CEO of a company of hundreds or thousands or or many more is still a very lonely role because you're the only one in that role and you're the yeah. only one making certain kinds of decisions and there are certain things you're not going to discuss with anybody. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is also why when you're in a relationship with a with a 
a life partner, whether a spouse or otherwise, who is supportive and in sync with you and understands what it's like to be an entrepreneur, that can actually be a huge benefit. Oh, yes, I would say so. And in fact, it's interesting that a lot of my friends who are my age uh, in their 60s, who either got married late or second marriage, remarkably, they share uh, common interests and often it's a career. So I have two very good friends married who are both real estate brokers. I have two very good friends married who are both musicians and perform together. So it's interesting. I think when you get married later or the second time or whatever, you you understand a little bit more that having a very uh, caring and supportive partner is <laughs> just a wonderful asset in life. Yeah, it means that every aspect of your life is going to be in alignment. Well, I don't know about every, but well, <laughs> certainly <okay>. more. <laughs> that, that might that might be an extreme, but certainly more than um, than for many couples. Yes, I yeah. think so. So, Riva, at this point, how do you spend most of your time? Well, it's very funny if, I, if we're talking about living with coronavirus, which we are right in the middle of right now. In the morning, I get up, I make a cup of coffee, I. Uh, look at my emails and some videos. And then from 9 to 10.30 in the morning, I do a Qigong practice, which I find incredibly calming and meditative and strengthening. And then I watch Governor Cuomo's briefing and then make a healthy lunch, take a daily walk after lunch, then do work in the afternoon. And then... uh, make a healthy dinner. And after dinner, I'm having a video chat with a friend or I'm uh, watching a video that has something to do with my work or diabetes, putting something up on my blog. I'm also part of a committee to brand diabetes awareness through the CDC. So we've got ongoing meetings. So it's uh, it's amazing. All my friends and I are saying, in a way, we're not quite sure what we're doing during the day, but we get to the end and we realize we haven't done half the things on our list. It's amazing. And where would you like to see your your career, your business? Um, where do you would you like to see things evolve going forward? Well, I think that's the $60,000 question right now in that how will we come out of this? You know, I think I would have answered this question differently a couple months ago. How will we come out of this situation, what will be uh, what will be pertinent for what I do? I think everything is becoming clear. Everything is becoming more video. I mean, I am also in the process of writing my fourth book, which is sharing this flourishing approach that I've been doing workshops on around the world for healthcare professionals. So I do want to turn that into my fourth book. But you know, maybe there'll be video chapters. Maybe there'll be podcasts, maybe, you know, that kind of thing. I also want to put voice to my first book, my inspirational book, The ABCs of Loving Yourself with Diabetes. And in fact, we were looking at renting conference space at our local library so that every week I would go and record a page so that the book would be recorded. You know, at this point, I still want to do that and then just give it out for free or charity or something. So um, I still want to do the main things I do in diabetes, inspiring people to live well with it. Uh, I just think the how may look a little different based on what we're going through. 
Yeah, that's for sure. It's, it's very hard to tell exactly w- what things are going to be like on the other side. Yeah. Reva, for anyone who wants to learn more about your work or um, get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so they can go to my website, which is diabetesstories.com. That's probably the best the best way to reach me, and there's a contact page there. Um, I also, I guess I didn't say, I wrote on the Huffington Post for seven years. Again, diabetes-related, that's my platform. So if anybody is more interested in learning about diabetes and some innovative ways of looking at it, and both from the health professional and the patient point of view, they would just go to Huffington Post, Reva Greenberg, and I think they're all cataloged there. Sounds great. Well, Reva, I want to actually circle back in closing to the way we opened this discussion, which is that your experiences have certainly been emblematic of um, of what I quoted that you had written, which is our history does not have to be our future. And I think many people can learn from some of the the strategies and examples that you've shared about how to how to manage our work and our lives and how to manage um, transitions, whether they're planned or or happenstance and how to deal with them and how to be as fulfilled as possible in the process. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo, Share Your Stories. My guest today has been Reva Greenberg. Thank you again, Reva, for joining us. Thank you, David. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to use optimism and perseverance to drive success and much more. If you'd like to share your story on Going Solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review if you can. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.